Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I began a, a new series of sermons with you here in, in Melville Church on the first letter of Paul to Timothy. Uh, that particular Sunday, we uh, focused, I read through the whole first chapter, but we focused in the first half of the chapter. Uh, today, I'd like to go back to 1 Timothy 1 and be reading from 1 Timothy 1, and then I'll be preaching from verse 12 through to 17. So in your Bibles, uh, you'll find uh, the first letter of Timothy uh, towards the end. Uh, <clears throat> there are a number of letters that are particularly written by the Apostle Paul, but a few others as well in the, in the New Testament. And uh, so you have a number of letters that he writes to various churches. And then after that, we have what are called the pastoral epistles, which are letters to Timothy and to Titus uh, individuals. And uh, so we're going to read together from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. One Timothy one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, and for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Verse 12. I thank Him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor, Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So far the reading from 1 Timothy 1. Uh, let's uh, sing together before the preaching uh, from hymn 66, verse 1, 2, and 3. Great is your faithfulness.
what I'd like to read with you again, just from 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 to 17. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, I thank Him who's given me strength, Jesus, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecuted, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, last week we had the first amount of data released from the census that was taken here in Australia last year in 2021. Uh, one of the things that we learned from uh, what was released this past week, I think it was last Tuesday, was that for the first time since the census has been taken, the number of Australians who call themselves Christians has dropped to below 50% of the, of the population. In fact, only 44% of Australians today will self-identify themselves as Christian. I just want you to pause and think about that for a moment because five years ago, it wasn't 44%, five years ago it was 52% of the population of Australia called themselves Christian. That's a big drop over five years, massive. Ten years ago, 61% of Australians called themselves Christian. Back in the mid-1960s, it was almost 90%. There's no denying it. Australia is no longer a Christian nation, and Australia no longer even pretends that they are a Christian nation. And while the people identifying as Christians is declining, it's not really the Muslims or the Buddhists or the Hindus who are growing the most. Yes, there's growth amongst them. But where we see the greatest growth amongst those who claim to have no religion at all. Now, these, these statistics, they're important. As Christians, we should take note of them. It is without a doubt, and we need to think about this, it's without a doubt that there are many, many Australians amongst us who really have no meaningful connection to Christianity. No one in their families, their parents, their grandparents, or anyone really knows what the gospel is all about or attends church or anything like that. No one in the workplace does. No one down the pub does, or if they do, they don't talk to them about it. That no family or friends to tell them about the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that. We need to think about that. The need and the call to share the gospel is more important today than ever before. But there's something else I'd like you to think about this morning as well, and that is how Christianity is really perceived 
by people here in Australia and how it has been perceived really since the first fleet came back in 1788. Uh, writing for the Sydney Morning Herald, Michael Jensen, who's an Anglican pastor, he wrote this, and I quote from him. He said, For a large part of Australia's history since 1788, religion has been tribal as much as a matter of personal faith. If you were Irish or Italian, you were Catholic. If you were English, you were the Church of England. If you were Scottish, you were Presbyterian. If you're Greek, you were Orthodox. And you went with the customs and the rituals of your tribe. You had a place to be married and be buried and a school for your children to go to with people like you. Otherwise, many people didn't, didn't think too much about the religion as a faith as such. It was more a general system of values and virtues. To be Christian was to be, was to be moral and vice versa. And that's what Michael Jensen wrote. Now, now, if we accept what Michael Jensen wrote, and, and I think we should, we can, well, then you can really begin to understand why so many Christians, so many people so quickly are no longer identifying themselves as Christian. Those cultural ties have weakened. Unless people are identifying themselves as Catholic, as Catholic or Anglican or even Presbyterian and Reformed simply because they were born into those communities. Well, we experience it ourselves. What is also happening is that people no longer think that to be a good person, to be moral, is the same as being a Christian. I think that's a change which has really been exhilarating over the last decade or so. That people no longer think that to be a morally upright or to be a good person, that is the same as being a Christian. To the contrary, churches are often considered to be immoral and to our collective shame. I mean, there's churches throughout Australia now. To our collective shame, the level of abuse and hypocrisy and toleration and even the hiding of sin within Christian churches has also contributed to churches having a bad taste in the mouth of many of those who aren't part of it. But with the rejection of Christianity, there's also been the rise of a new morality. A new morality that really isn't based on God's law, on His commandments. And this has led to, to Christians being called evil, hateful, bigoted, while those promoting sexual diversity, uh, lifestyles that the Bible really speaks about as being perverse, along with the rights to access such as abortion and euthanasia, people who champion these things are presented as, as loving and as caring, as good citizens. And this has really led to the idea that, that uh, Christianity is not good for us, but is something to be to be hated, to be discarded, to be rejected. And so what do we do? And how do we respond? What's the message of the gospel that is still going to be relevant for the context in which we live? Now, these are important questions for us to wrestle with. There's many things for us to consider. But the basic answer, the basic answer to these questions has not changed even though our society has changed. The message for both the church and the world 
is what we can find in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Or as other translations says, to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. That's, that's really at the end of the day how we should respond. This is what we need to hold on to. This is what we confess. And this is what is our message also to the world. Because this is what Christianity really is all about. And even more, this is what God is all about. And so turning to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17 this morning, I preach the gospel to you under this message, this theme. The perfect patience of Christ on display in the chief of sinners. The perfect patience of Christ on display in the chief of sinners. And as we go through this passage of Scripture, we'll see, first of all, mercy shown, and second, mercy offered. First of all, then, mercy shown. When the Apostle Paul wrote this first letter to Timothy, the context and the culture of those days was in many ways very different to our own. And yet at the same time, the similarities. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to Timothy, who was in the city called Ephesus, a city in Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it, was, it was a big city in those days. For those days, it was about 300,000 people. It was a wealthy city. Uh, lots of marble and lots of uh, some broad streets and so forth going through it. It was a, it was a melting pot of, of different cultures. Uh, it was a trading hub for the region. But Ephesus was also a, a sin-filled city. Uh, their goddess was a goddess called Diana of the Ephesians. was Diana. And, and, and in connection with the worship of this goddess, there was a lot of, 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 of promiscuity and sexual sin and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff which is going on. And it, they were proud of these things and they promoted these things. And so what you, want, what you need to see then is that the culture of Ephesus, the culture of the city was hostile to the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. It was hostile to the gospel and to the Christian church. And actually, this hostility came to, a, came to a head at one point in time. The book of Acts, chapter 19, when the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus, uh, you have that story of a riot in the city. There was this silversmith called Demetrius, and, and he, he got all the people who followed and, and made their money out of, out of the people worshipping their, their goddess, Diana. And they went and had a massive uproar in an attempt to, to stop Paul from preaching and to stop the people from becoming Christians. And as such, therefore, Ephesus, it was no more ready to hear the gospel than our country is today. But Ephesus needed the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesus needed the gospel just as much as our nation does today. Another similarity between Ephesus and, and us is, is the state of the church itself. When it comes to the church today, and I'm speaking broadly here, and churches in general, I'm not really focusing on, on Melville Church. But when it comes to churches in general, most people have the impression that the central message of Christianity is indeed to try to be a better person, to be more like Jesus. But Christianity for many people is a way of life. It's an encouragement to be good, to be loving, and to be accepting of others. Now, on one side, there's a bit of truth in that. 
the law is good if one uses it lawfully, 1 Timothy 1 verse 8 says. We are indeed called to holy living. But what is missing in all of this, however, is the, the centrality of the gospel of being saved in Jesus Christ. What's missing is indeed that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And as a result, many people don't really know what sin is anymore. And that's led people to say, well, I don't really need to go to church in order to try to be a better person. It's not for church to also to tell me how to lead a, a good life. That's for me to work out for myself. And besides, that church is full of hypocrites. But the problem here is that the message of the gospel is being clouded over. And this is happening today in many churches. And that was also happening in the church of Ephesus when Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. Within the church of Ephesus, there were false teachers and those who were devoting themselves, it says, to myths and speculations and endless genealogies. The people desired to be teachers of the law, he said. They, they wanted to, to puff themselves up thinking, yeah, I know what, God's, what God has to say to us. But they didn't even know what they were saying. and They didn't know the context of this law either. They didn't know, understand the truths they were meant to be teaching. And so the result of all that is that the gospel message was being buried. And it was no longer being taught. It was no longer really being understood. And this led to all sorts of challenges and, and problems in this church of Ephesus. And that's why Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus. And that's also why Paul sent to Timothy this letter. Because it's so very, very important that those false teachers be stopped, that the church of Ephesus might have the pure gospel message proclaimed and embraced. And so this is what Paul's writing about in his letter to Timothy, and he's going to go through and he's going to explain exactly how the church was to function there in Ephesus. But, but as he's going through this in chapter 1, and he's speaking here about the false teachers and how they're using the law and everything wrongly, and then he suddenly seems to stop. It's almost like he stops mid-sentence uh, in, in verse 11, because he's talking about um, uh, different sins and so forth, and then he talks about sound doctrine being in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And then he writes, with which I have been entrusted. And then if you, if, as you read through, it's almost like, it's like, and then he almost like, did I really write that? That I've been entrusted with this gospel? How amazing is that the that God could be so patient and loving and merciful and gracious that He could give this gospel to me and entrust me with it that I might tell others about it. And then He goes on then, verse 4, 12, see? I thank Him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And so he's just saying how generous and how gracious this God of mercy is. That he's going to fill me with the faith and the love that comes from Christ Jesus. But really, this is what the gospel is all about. This is what being a Christian is all about. It's about God and about his mercy and about his patience towards us. The gospel is not, is not about you pretending to be someone who you are not. The gospel is not about telling you just to pick yourself up and try to be a better person, 
in and of yourself, to be moral, but to be upright, so other people can see you and that they can applaud you and say, oh, wow, what a great Christian this person is. It's not really what it's about. Well, actually, it's not at all about that. The gospel is not some sort of prize that's, that's handed out to the most deserving participant. But rather, the gospel is the message of forgiveness and of a new life that is yours in Jesus Christ. And if only that was the message that the world would hear today. If only that was the message when people ask, well, what is it all about to be a Christian? They'd be directed to this. Then people would understand that church is not some sort of a cultural club for you to attend when it suits you. Then people would understand that the message one must hear in church is not just to try to be a better person. But the central message of the gospel is about the grace and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. A mercy that overflows for those whom he came to serve and to save. And you see, this is the message that God's entrusted the Apostle Paul. And this is the message that he's preached, not just in Ephesus, but this is what Paul preached everywhere in the world that he went to. And, and this is what he's reflecting then on also in the first part of Timothy. But then he stops and says, but, but how come? How did I get to, to be that man, that one, to go around to all these different places and to tell them about the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ? What's this all about? How could it be that Paul would be entrusted with such a wonderful gospel message? Why would the Lord judge him to be faithful and appoint him to serve as an apostle? How could that be since, since he was the least deserving of all people to receive this and, and to do this? And actually, in a sense, that's true. He had not been a loyal follower of Jesus Christ from the beginning. To the contrary, verse 15 says, he was the foremost or the chief of sinners. Now, he wasn't a sinner in the sense that he was doing all those, those, those sexual, those, all those other sins that he's speaking about earlier on this chapter. In fact, morally, he, he was quite an upright sort of a person. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. And he had a very codified way of existence. And he tried to keep this up to the letter. But it was a, an existence in which he was puffing himself up. It was a, a religion in which he was trying to work his way up to God. It was a religion in which he was saying, look at me and how great and how wonderful I am. And it was a religion that had no place for Jesus Christ. It was a religion that had no place for the gospel. And it was a religion where actually Jesus was his enemy. And therefore, Christ and the name of Christ and the gospel had to be stamped out. And this is exactly what Paul was doing. Many of you would know about that. Many of you would remember that Paul is also called Saul in his early days. It's just a Hebrew versus a Greek name. He had he'd done everything he could to have the name of Jesus Christ extinguished and the church destroyed. The first time you get to hear about him is in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 58. Uh, the stoning of Stephen, and it says he's present there. And then it says in chapter 8, verse 1, that, that Saul, this is Paul, that he approved of the execution of Stephen. Stephen is this Christian. He's bearing witness to Christ. He's killed for this, and Paul's cheering on all those who are throwing rocks at his head. And then it says, after that, he just got so emboldened that he ravaged the church. He entered house after house. He went inside these homes and he dragged off men and women and he put them into prison. This is Acts chapter 8 verse 3. This is, this is Paul, the guy who wrote, the, the, the person who wrote 1 Timothy. And he did this thinking. He thought that he was actually doing a service towards God. And that God would be pleased with him. 
Uh, this is how Paul himself, he, he described himself in, in Acts chapter 26. Acts 26 verse 9 to 11. He's, he's talking to, to a man called Agrippa here. But he says here, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in my raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You see, this is who Paul was. This is what he was like. But then Jesus comes to him on the road to Damascus. This is in Acts chapter 9. And when the great light came on to, to Paul, uh, then the Lord said to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul, that's Paul, he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he says, he doesn't say, I'm going to wipe you out, or I'm going to kick you out, or you're going to go to hell. But he says, and now, get up and enter the city, it's Damascus, and you're going to get told what to do. In the meantime, God also speaks to Ananias. He's a prophet, he's living in Damascus, a Christian, and he tells him to go to Paul. To Saul. And the Lord says to him, He says, Go. Why? He says, He says, Go because this Paul, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so from the very beginning, right after the Lord Himself had stopped Paul in his tracks and brought about his conversion. The Lord Jesus said that, that this Paul, that he would carry the name of the Lord to others. He'd be sent out to preach, to bear witness to the gospel. And this is what Paul's reflecting on here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And he can still hardly believe it. Oh, yes, it's true that he acted ignorantly in unbelief. Uh, when he persecuted the church, he didn't really know who Jesus was. Uh, Paul's not trying to excuse himself by this. He's not trying to minimize his behavior or even minimize the grace of God. He's just recognizing that God was merciful. And so then in his ignorance, that God stopped him and he opened his eyes to the truth. But the saying is trustworthy, he went on to write in 1 Timothy 1 15. It's deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if he came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, I'm going to have to put up my hand and say, and I'm the foremost. I'm the chief of sinners. Amazing grace. How astonishing and wonderful it is that God would take him and not only mercifully forgive him, but entrust him with the gospel so he might preach that gospel to others. Then Paul says, but, but why would he do it? Why is God going to do this? Why, why would he choose me of all people and tell me that I've got to be an apostle and preach? Why would our patient and loving and merciful Savior so such grace to the chief of sinners so that not only would he be saved, but that he would also be called to preach? And then he realized that ultimately, it wasn't just for him that God had saved him, but God had entrusted the gospel to him to demonstrate to us just how real and how wonderful the gospel really is. I'd like to speak about that in my second point, mercy offered. 
So why did Paul receive such mercy from God and from the one he was persecuting? Have a look at that, verse 16 of chapter 1. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul received mercy not only to believe in Christ, but to be sent by Christ to preach the gospel. And by sending Paul, the one who'd been a blasphemer, the one who'd been a persecutor of the church, the one who'd been an insolent man, to send Paul to preach the gospel, Jesus Christ is speaking to us, to you, to me, to, to Australia, to the world. Yes, to all those whom he has chosen to believe in him. And he says it is true. The gospel promise that I hold out to you is true. There is forgiveness and there is salvation in my name. You see, because Paul wasn't this good person, because he couldn't go along and go around the world and saying, just look at me and just what a great person I am and, and how I've, I've built myself up and, and check out my CV as to why I'm just a perfect person. For this. He could not do any of this. It was God's way of saying, see what I did to Paul? If I did it to him, then I can do it to you. That's encouraging. You see, for us to know our sin, there will be times when you're going to wonder, yeah, but it's all very well for those other people. Me? You, you, you don't understand. It, it, it's not just what I've done. It's not just my past. It's not just the way I've, I've humiliated myself and humiliated others. And I've done some things which I don't dare to say in public. But it's also because, because I haven't been very good. I haven't been very faithful. I haven't always done and, and acted the, the, the way that I should. And I haven't followed Christ the way I should either. How can I be confident that there's still going to be forgiveness for me after all that? I've sinned too much. Why would God be prepared to, to bother with me and to save a sinner like me? And then Paul says, yeah, but look at me. Just, you, you think about yourself, well, look at me for a moment. And what you're going to see in me is the biggest enemy of the gospel there ever was. And what you're going to see in me then is the greatest display of God's grace that you could ever see. You know, actually, Paul's not even here really. And I don't think the Bible here also is trying to grade people and say, where on the, on the pecking order are you as far as holiness, as far as goodness goes? And yeah, Steve's out here and, 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 and Paul's out there and, 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 and Julie's out there. That's not what he's trying to do here. As if we can all just look over our shoulder and say, who did the most sins or who didn't? Ultimately, Ultimately, we're all going to get to the stage of saying, yeah, I'm the chief, I'm the foremost also. Because each one of us has failed to do that and to live the way that God has called us to. But what God's doing here is he's getting Paul and he's bringing him up there so that people could see in him just how great God's grace is. And how great his salvation in Jesus really is. And it gives us hope. And it gives us encouragement. Because if he could save the chief of sinners, he 
can save you. I don't know about you, but, but that's what I need to hear. And I need to hear that not just once, but I need to hear that again and again. I need to hear it in times when I've just, just, just messed up and I just feel that I just don't really have it together. That I'm not really, that I feel like I'm just living like a hypocrite. And I need it at times or so when, when I just kind of feel that I've got everything in control and things are ticking along all right. I need to hear of the grace of God and of the glory of the gospel that is so great that this Jesus, he could save Paul and he can save me. And that's the message that we need to hear. And that's the message that we need to tell others as well. It's a calamity. It's a travesty. It's a horrible thing that so many people seem to still think that being a Christian is no more than a feel-good tradition. It's a grievous wrong that people still think that to be a Christian and to go to church is little more than an attempt at being good, to be a morally upright person, to somehow work your way up to God. That So by the end of it, hopefully touch wood, cross your fingers and do everything else you can uh, and go through whatever religious ceremony you can. So maybe, hopefully, you've just quite done enough or God's just got to look and say, yeah, you can get in. It's a travesty that people seem to think that this is what Christianity is all about. It is so sad there are so many men and women in Australia who really do not have a clue as to what it means to belong to Christ or what the gospel is about. And in that sense, while on the one hand it's troubling to see that the number of those in Australia declaring that they have no religion, that this number will in all likelihood soon overtake those who believe themselves to be Christians. On the other hand, on the other hand this is just a wake-up call to all of us. To really understand and to think about just what being a Christian really is all about. Because being a Christian is not being part of a tribe. Not even Melville tribe. Being a Christian is not simply an attempt at being good. Sure, we are part of a tribe, so to speak. We're, we're a community. And we are in it together. Sure, being a Christian does call us to a new way of living. Yes, holy living. But really, what is it? Being a Christian is to know your sin and to know your Savior. And that's amazing. One Bible commentator, Philip Ryken, he wrote this. He said, Christianity is the only religion in the world that is, bad, that is for bad people. In one way or another, every other religion says people can become good enough for God. But what if we're not good enough? What then? What if we really are the worst of sinners? Well, then Christianity is the only religion that offers real hope. If we are wretched sinners, then Christianity is our only option. Jesus Christ is the only one who can or will save us because he came into the world to save sinners. So what do you can do about that? Well, what does Paul do? Verse 17, he just bursts into song. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's all he can say. Praise God. Because that's all you can do, to praise God and to praise him even more. Because he's the king. He's the king of ages. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immortal. 
He lives forever because he's invisible. He's the one who dwells in unapproachable light. He is pure and he is holy. And yes, because he's the one God and therefore all glory and honor must go to him. And it's got to go to him forever and forever and ever. And that changes everything. That changes our understanding of God. That changes our understanding of ourselves. That changes our understanding of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that gives us hope. And it gives us hope for other people as well. Because if God could save Paul, and if God could save me, then God can save you. And so what do you think? And what are you going to say? How will you respond to the call of the gospel? The perfect patience of Christ was on display in the chief of sinners as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. But you can't just hear this and walk away. You need to, make an, you need to give your response. You need to give an answer. What will you do with the call of the gospel? What will you say? You have to say that it's not for you, that you're not good enough for God. That misses the point. But rather we must all say that not one of us is good enough. That each of us in that sense is the foremost, is the chief of sinners. But the saying is trustworthy. It's full of, worthy, deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners like Paul. Sinners like me. And sinners like you. Turn to him therefore. Repent. Believe the gospel. And you will be saved. Amen.